This episode of the MGMA podcast is brought to you by Walmart Business. It's the Walmart you love, now for business. Get everything you need for your staff and patients in one place. Enjoy big savings on health and safety products, cleaning supplies, over-the-counter medications, and much more. And don't forget the break room snacks. Create a free account today and start shopping at business.walmart.com. That's business.walmart.com. This episode is brought to you by MGMA Events. Join us June 6th through the 8th for a robust and convenient learning experience featuring education from industry leaders covering a wide variety of challenges facing medical practices today. MGMA Summit is a signature online event that allows you to take control of your journey by attending live or by accessing the sessions at your own pace until July 8th. Go to mgma.com events to learn more and to register today. Healthcare is complicated, but you don't have to navigate the complexities alone. Care Allies collaborates with physician organizations to solve some of the toughest challenges on the path to value-based care. As your organization works to effectively manage your more vulnerable patient populations, enhance outcomes, and improve data analytics, Care Allies brings the people, technology, and processes to support you so you can focus on practicing medicine. Visit careallies.com to see how they can help to radically simplify value-based care. Well, hi, everyone. I'm Daniel Williams, Senior Editor of MGMA and host of the MGMA Podcast Network. Today, we welcome Steve Dickens back to the show. Now, as a reminder, Steve has earned his JD, his MED, his FACMPE, and he's Vice President Medical Practice Services at SVMIC. Steve is here today to talk about a topic he's presented on, critical conversations, and can they be salvaged? Steve, welcome back to the show. Well, thank you, Daniel. I'm happy to be back with you today. Yeah. Now, we have had you on the show before. I'm not sure if I asked you this question previously, but tell us who SVMIC is and what your role is there. Hey, SVMIC stands for State Volunteer Mutual Insurance Company, which is a mouthful, but it is a professional medical liability insurance company, meaning that we insure physicians and other practitioners against accusations of malpractice from their patients. Uh, SVMIC is quickly approaching its 50th anniversary, and we are still a physician-owned and led organization. So we are very physician-oriented. And in that vein, because of our mission and our values, uh, we, about 26 years ago, developed a consulting arm of the organization that helps physicians and practice executives with the business side of medicine. Uh, the, the greatest difference being that it is a part of their policy. It is not a fee-for-service uh, consulting uh, service. So we, we just 
like to help doctors with whatever is going on in their organizations. All right. Well, thanks for sharing that information with us. Now, we're going to be talking about critical conversations. Let's define that first. What, what do you mean by a critical conversation? Well, when I, when I talk about a critical conversation, what I'm really referring to are those interactions between two or more people where it's important that the speaker convey his or her message and that the recipient or recipients understand what it is that they mean because you know some breakdown in that process is going to create a problem or it is going to in some way impact the organization to be more specific in a healthcare setting you know those conversations that impact uh, patient care employee productivity or morale affecting change and the ongoing professional relationships of the parties can really be impacted by a misstep or a miscommunication where people don't connect and don't either convey their message or the recipient doesn't understand it. I hope I'm not overstepping my boundaries, but I feel like we're having a critical conversation here. <laughs> I, I, I think we are, Daniel. You know, this this is very important. There are a lot of smart people out there. But, you know, as the old saying goes, you know, no one knows, you know, how much you care until they see how much you care. And and it doesn't matter how much you know if you can't express that in a meaningful way. Yeah. I it leads to the next part of this and the maybe the subjectivity part of this. And by that, I mean, could a conversation be critical to one party in the conversation, but not the other one? Or do you have to agree that it's critical on both sides of it? No, I, I think it can be critical to one individual without being so to, to the other person. You know, what, what is important to me may not be important to you. What, you know, as we're having this conversation, you know, is what we're saying today important to the people who are listening to this podcast? Uh, certainly hope so. But, you know, as an example, you, you may have an employee who doesn't think it matters how they do their job as long as they get whatever the assigned task is done. It's, you know, they're just looking for a means to an end. But there are some things in a practice where a physician or a practice executive is going to want or need them to be done in a very specific way. So there are instructions there to follow. And, and conversely, we are seeing more and more instances where our practice executives, uh, physicians, managers are, are overwhelmed and don't listen to an employee or they miss those subtle signs that would have told them, hey, there's a problem here, whatever that may be. And without realizing it, if they aren't listening, uh, they may suddenly be looking for a new employee very quickly. And, you know, uh, we, we've all, you know, been taught that people don't leave jobs, they leave bad bosses. And, and I don't think bosses are maybe as bad people necessarily. I just think it is an inability a lot of times to connect with their employees. Right. Um, talk about that skill then, that communication skill where a person is being they're being heard, but it's also, I don't know if I'm getting the verbiage right here, but it's also actually being received as it was intended. Uh, sometimes 
the the words are being said, but it, it's misfiring, so to speak. Well, you know, there, there are a lot of reasons for that. Uh, you know, you may have two individuals who have very different languages. We've, we've learned as we are seeing uh, younger generations come into the workforce that different, that what we may think means one thing means something very different to them. Uh, just a couple of examples, you know, uh, emojis. I love emojis, uh, but, you know, the little sick emoji, I have learned that, you know, if I send a sick emoji to my boss, it means I'm sick and I'm not showing up today. But I've learned that younger people use it as that sick, meaning that's cool. And okay. I believe it or not, I was in a in a workshop last week um, on harassment and learned that the thumbs up emergency, uh, some people take that as as a rather rude sign. They, they think you're giving them the finger with that. So Whoa. there we have a lot of generational gaps there in different languages. I think that is part of the problem. Uh, also, as we're talking with people, we have to remember that our vocabulary as healthcare professionals is not the vocabulary our patients have. And, and you employees, as we, as we scramble to bring in, uh, you know, people to, to work the front desk, you know, or whether there is the receptionist or medical assistants or billing or whatever, very smart people, very capable people, but all of these acronyms we have in healthcare and all of these other things that we do may just fall on deaf ears to them. And then even beyond that, perhaps part of what you were referencing to, uh, communication is very nonverbal. When we start talking about body language and then even tone of voice, uh, you know, you may say the right things, but if you don't sound like you mean it, I may not believe you. Or if your body language, you know, gives me the impression that you really don't care, that this really wasn't important, I may interpret it that way. Right. And following up on that, you were talking about the emojis as well, or if we're communicating through email or a text and we say, a certain thing, and it could be interpreted very differently if you and I are sitting here talking and we rise our inflection, or you can see mm -hmm. that one of us says something, but we're smiling, and you can tell we're saying a joke here, but if, if you say it in, in words, uh, in a text or an email, it could be interpreted very, very differently. Oh, you're, you're absolutely right, Daniel, and tone is always inferred. Right. And unless you know the person really well to give them the benefit of the doubt, it may send you off on a path. I, I got an email from someone last week and the first line of it just absolutely hit me wrong. And I thought, oh, my gosh, what a what a hateful, arrogant, you know, condescending statement you've made here. <laughs> and I, I had to step back from it. And, you know, it was an email that did need a response. It did not need an immediate response. And I made the decision to just let it sit there all day and finally had to walk myself back to, OK, I am sure that that is not what this person meant here. So, you know, let's let's mature up and let's respond. Someone, you know, perhaps who was, you know, if I on a different day, if I'd been in a worse mood or had let my emotional intelligence get away from me, I might have sent something really snarky back where it wasn't right. deserved. And and here we would have started this miscommunication. We would have sent this relationship down the, the wrong path there. 
So, uh, you know, I learned a long time ago when we really first started using email, I tend to write much more formally than I speak. You know, I use periods and commas and, and all of those different things and, you know, didn't really see the need for a greeting, didn't really see the name to call the person by name or to sign my name. It's like, you know who you are. I know who I am. This is what we need. And I've learned that that people can can see those things as short or hateful. So you absolutely need to be very careful about those things. Mm-hmm. Well, let's go over then some elements of effective communication. Let's talk about it from through the lens of a practice leader. What are some do's and don'ts then if you're communicating with your peers, you're communicating with your staff, whatever it might be, what what are some things they should be doing and maybe you should avoid? Well, the, the most essential things are the ability to listen and to be present. Uh, When someone else is talking to you, you need to give them your attention. Uh, I'm so grateful that we now finally have debunked this myth of multitasking. When someone walks into my office, I cannot focus on an email and listen to them at the same time. Right. And so you, you need to minimize that distance. You need to make eye contact and let the person speak. You know, we, we are in such a hurry in our practices that we oftentimes are already anticipating the end of their question or the end of their statement. We're thinking about what we want to ask, or what we want to say, and you, you miss the nuances of what it is they're telling. And when you, when you ask someone a question, you should ask the question that you want answered and then let them explain that. Uh, it is amazing. We can ask someone to do something, but when we explain to them the why of what we want them to do, and in, even at the how, if that's important, and the impact of that, it, it can make a big difference in their motivation and their work of, of how they're going to approach the task. Uh, you know, some of the, the other elements, you know, as you're having what would be defined as a critical conversation, you need to decide, okay, how is the best way to do this? Uh, sometimes a written message is effective. Uh, The problem with a written message is that you do lose tone, you lose body language, and you really don't have any control over the receipt of the message. Uh, When are they going to read it? How are they going to take it? What mood are they in? And so I I think written messages are great for communicating a lot of information or if you uh, are looking to get an answer to a question or convey simple instructions. But as the conversation becomes more critical or more important, that's where it's important that you determine, okay, is this something I need to do on the phone or is this something I need to do face-to-face? Because that's the only way you get control on the delivery. And it's the only way that you can read their body language and hear what they're saying. Okay. In terms of setting that up. So if it's going to be, gosh, I'm, (laughs) I'm trying to, because you're, you're making my, my, my brain just, my thoughts spin, my brain uh, going in different directions here where you want to set the stage. You want to set it where it's conducive to both parties. Um, but how do you, how do you do that and not come across as a jerk? Like, <laughs> and I, I, I don't want to define that jerk, but um, like where you're coming across where, Hey, uh, like you were, you made the great example of, 
hey, I need to finish this email here because I can't focus on you and I really want to give you my undivided attention. So how do you convey that as well if you're going to have a one-on-one -on -one or multiple people in a room, but you, you really do want everybody to be focused in that, in that space. We've all been in there. We're really, really spilling our heart out. And we look over the person's down there looking at their phone and answering mm -hmm. another text or something. And you go, Whoa. Oh, uh, yeah, those, <laughs> and, and you're absolutely right. And I, I believe the ability to control those situations comes with practice and deliberateness. Uh, if you are holding a meeting, there should be a purpose for a meeting. Don't have a meeting just to have a meeting. Right. You know, because right. there are some people that just cannot stand meetings. And, and we, right. we know that is a personality and a generational issue. So your meeting should be organized. We, we should know what the agenda is. You should have sent it out. We should know how long this is going to last. You know, if, if I walk into a room and all I know is I have a meeting at noon, is this an hour? Is this two hours? What are we going to talk about? You know, I, I am getting antsy or, you know, lay, lay the groundwork. Hey, we've got a 12 to one. Here's the agenda. Here's what we're going to do. Or if it's going to be a 12 to four and we've got a big agenda, then that's when you have to make the decision. Okay. I need everybody to put away their cell phones today. Okay. We're going to take a break every hour so you can check in unless someone has an emergency that you need to be watching for something. I was okay. I was in an all day meeting recently, and that was one of the ground rules that that our CEO said. He said, OK, we need to focus today. I have set the timer on my phone. We will stop every 60 minutes. And one of the the other um, VPs at the meeting said, I've got a kid at home sick today. So is it OK if I keep my phone on the table? Never picked it up, never touched it. So that's part of it. And then also, I think you have to establish yourself as someone. If you say you have an open door policy and I'm here for you, then people need to be able to see that. They need to see the visibility so that when someone walks in and says, I need to talk to you, if you've built that trust, you've established that relationship. If you are in the middle of something that is a crisis, you can look at them and say, I'm in this right now. I need 15 minutes or 30 minutes right. to finish it. Can this wait that long? And they're either going to say yes or no. And if they trust you, if it can wait, they'll, they'll say that. And if it can't wait, then, well, you need to stop and listen to them. So I, I think it's just about demonstrating time and time again that this is who you are so that people see that. Mm -hmm. I really love that. Setting those expectations, getting everybody who's going to be involved in those critical conversations on the same page. So looking at it from a medical practice side of things, give us a couple of examples or an example of what a critical conversation looks like. What could it be about? Um, who's involved here? You could give us just some examples here. Well, these conversations occur at every level. If you're a practice executive, you are going to have critical conversations with physicians where they are frustrated or angry. They're they're up, you know, some of the some of the examples I used in the um, using the presentation talk about where an employee a physician comes through and says, I want an employee fired today. Well, you've got to be able to hold your own and, and recognize that the doctor is upset. 
but you know that you cannot just walk out the door and terminate someone if you've not laid the groundwork. So your job in that situation begin is to have the conversation. I understand you're upset. Let me manage this so you don't get in trouble. And then do whatever you need to do. Or, uh, you know, you, you may have doctors who want you to be the go-between. You know, oh, go tell Dr. Smith this. Well, okay, you know. If it's a simple something, maybe that's okay. But if Dr. Smith and Dr. Jones aren't getting along, that's not a position you want to be in. Employees, uh, you know, you get into the he said, she said issues where they're not getting along and you've got to moderate that or the employees who want accommodations or make an accusation of harassment or discrimination. Those are very delicate situations and again, you can end up with disgruntled employees. You can end up with morale issues. You can end up with resignations. So how you handle that and the compassion that they see in you and the professionalism that they see in you and the, and the consistency that they see in you and being present, uh, you know, you may think it's silly that Susie and Billy can't get along, but you've got to pay attention to it. And Susie and Billy need to know that that you do. Uh, and then, you know, there are conversations with patients, the, the patients who don't understand why things are the way they are, the patients who have complaints, uh, the family members who don't understand why you're treating mama or daddy this way, whatever it may be. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a lot of emotional intelligence that goes into being able to read other people and make those split second decisions. Okay, how am I going to handle and navigate this so that it doesn't get worse? Okay. Well, Steve, I just want to thank you again for joining us on the MGMA podcast, for having a critical conversation here with us. It's always so good and so insightful. As we sign off, I know that you just gave this same talk in Orlando. What was the kind of feedback? What's an idea of uh, the feedback you got from those in attendance or maybe a question you heard later? What's the last thing you can send, off, send us off with today? Well, it, it was a great it was a great audience and it was a, a great meeting in Orlando. And I enjoyed the opportunity to connect with so many people. Uh, you know, the. Probably the, the largest question I got was, you know, how do I deal with uh employees with personal problems or physicians yeah. with personal problems and bringing those things to them. And, you know, and the response to those are really about, you know, having a compassionate conversation and, you know, helping them understand how their behaviors are impacting the organization. Uh, many people are afraid to talk to someone else about their behavior because they think it's a taboo subject. Well, the approach to the problem is in talking about the impact of the organization and, you know, and you, you do have to be careful about getting involved in someone's life. But the the um, thing there is that you help them find the resources they need. You point them to those resources. So that was that was the biggest question. Uh, the, the most frequent comment I heard from attendees about what they had to say was, you know, the reminder to be present, the reminder to stop and, and take a break, the reminder to be visible goes so far and building an organization's culture where communication is safe and is candid. 
Steve, you talk the talk and you walk the walk. Every time I've ever met you, you are present, you're there, and I appreciate you for that. So thank you so much. Well, well, thank you, Daniel. And, and thank you again for, for having me and for all that you all do at MGMA. All right. Well, that is going to do it for this episode of MGMA's Insights Podcast. Thanks again to Steve Dickens. He's Vice President, Medical Practice Services at SVMIC. You can hear Steve speak on the topic of critical conversations at MGMA's Summit Summit Digital Event. It's going to be Thursday, June 8th. Go to mgma.com slash events to learn more and to register. And thanks for being a loyal listener to the MGMA Podcast Network. If you like the work we're doing, please consider becoming an MGMA member. Learn more at mgma.com slash membership. The popular buzzword we've been seeing everywhere is AI. But what we all want to know is how we can implement and use it to our advantage. When it comes to improving margins, accelerating cash flow, and optimizing staff performance, there's a one-stop shop using cloud-based predictive analytics. MGMA Analytics is your AI-enabled tool that upscales technology you've already been paying for, so you can silo your disparate systems and make data-backed business decisions. Visit mgma.com slash analytics and see how AI can revolutionize your finances and operations. Again, Visit mgma.com slash analytics today.